We weren't even recording. That was gold, man. That was that was yeah. a good opening. I'm famous for missing recordings <laughs> yeah, we that know. are gold <laughs> and having should have recorded them and not having recorded them. With this, can you literally just have it be recording at all times in this room? Yeah. This is where all of our conversations of depth happen. Well, yeah, as long as we're sitting in front of the mic like this and talking to each other, we could. There's 61 hours of record time on this, and it's plugged Dang. in, so there's no battery. You wow. should totally do that. You yeah. should just leave it recording and then point the microphones in different directions. Well, they're only good for about, you know, a foot, and then they start to really drop off because yeah. they have, you know. A crappy microphone. Check, check. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, yeah. That's a huge difference. <laughs> Michael Jackson hates these microphones, and Joe Rogan, he doesn't know what he's doing either. Well, but you can switch out the microphones. For <laughs> Losers. Like, you could put these, you could attach these ones for when you're doing podcasts and then just switch them out for any of your stage mics that have yeah. a much greater range and... Oh yeah, you should do Boopity like a boop. a boom, and then you should have this thing on the on the uh, doors that say when you walk in this room, you will be recorded. Yeah, we <laughs> should set you up say all things do. you say maybe. Yeah. <laughs> we can set up like closed circuit security cameras too, just to film audio and video of this room at all times. So there you go. big brother. Uh, Summit edition. Yeah, <laughs> big, big brother podcast. <laughs> Summit studio. That's the like one. It. Yeah. So uh, we'll go ahead and get started here. Hey, I didn't clap. I don't think I need to clap because just because your setup is so great. Yeah, it's just I'm I'm beyond the it clapping voids. now. Wow. Yeah, just in case. Thanks. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Welcome to the Uloft Podcast. This is Michael Bond, and I'm joined by Caleb Fugate. Hey, Kendall Kersey. What is up? And that's all I have today. And me, uh, <laughs> and Michael Bond, and Michael Bond again. Uh, I'm so happy that you joined us today. Today we are going to talk about violence. Uh, the first question that I want to ask, you know, we are instructed to love our enemies. Uh, and so my question is, how do you love your enemy without losing respect for yourself? So when I think about mm. this question, I think, you know, if somebody is using you or taking advantage of you and you're doing your best to love that person, uh, how do you continue to love the person without sort of sticking up for yourself or defending yourself? Like, so how do you love someone without really being taken advantage of mm. is the question right. you're asking. Yeah. Well, yeah, because we don't want to, we don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to lose respect for ourselves if we are constantly uh, pouring out of an empty glass for people who are not appreciating it because we're trying to love on our, on our enemies, let's say, uh, you know, are we going to end up in a place where we feel like well, you know, I, I, I'm really not worth much. I don't have much value because I'm not being valued by the people that I'm trying to love. Right. And do we run the risk of falling into a situation where we end up in sort of like self-loathing? Well, I have an answer, but I want to let you answer because I'm going to like just pull the Jesus card and be like the Sunday school answer, Jesus. Wait, but answer. like I was going to pull a Jesus card, but now I'm curious, are, are Jesus cards different are Jesus cards? Jesus cards. Is it the Jesus of hearts or the Jesus of spades that you're pulling? Today? I don't know, because the Jesus card I was going to pull was like, um, like Jesus let violence happen to him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it wasn't very good for him, you know, at the end, you know, he ended up dying. Spoiler alert. If you don't know the end of the story, he comes back. Um <laughs> I think that, you know, that's what Easter's <laughs> coming up. It's uh, So he comes back. If you didn't know that, go read the Bible. It's been out for 2,000 years, so I don't feel bad for spoiling the story. Um, Man, what'd you do that for? Yes, I'm, I'm, my bad, my bad. Uh, but, but seriously, this is like this 
losing respect for yourself and against uh, standing against like loving and violence and what does that look like? It's like I, I wonder, and I don't know the answer because I haven't asked Jesus this. Um, like in the midst of loving people to the end, right? That's actually in in John thirteen, um, which is the start of where he um, starts moving towards the cross, right? Like it's the they have the last supper, it's the Passover and he does the foot washing in John 13. And it says in there, he loved his disciples to the end, Mm -hmm. even though um, it was detrimental for himself. Right. So how do we, how do we keep that in mind when we're having these types of conversations to say like at the end, Christianity does bite people in the butt. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know how to reconcile that necessarily because I'm not Jesus either. So it's like, I don't know, but like we, we, we have this Jesus that we have to reconcile with, the one that we're supposed to be modeling, emulating, and striving for. Um, and he loved people even though it was not good for him. Yeah, no. Uh, so I was going to end there with the uh, with the cross. Like that, yeah. you know, Jesus allowed himself to essentially be, yeah, abused in this way and betrayed by the people that he loved. He even taught to people that knew or that he knew wasn't going to listen to him. Yeah. And he, you know, he, he, uh, metaphorically and like physically poured out himself, um, for these people. But I think the reason why he did not lose, uh, who he was, or he didn't lose self-worth or he didn't, you know, uh, pour himself out for people and then be like, Oh, but you know, I'm trying so hard and these guys don't even like me or they're going to kill me. Like, you know, I think the reason why is because I'm a sad boy. They don't like, <laughs> yeah, me. For real, like you don't see that, you know? So, um, I think the reason why though is because he knew exactly who he was mm. and his identity, uh, was not going to change based on how someone else loved him back. Yeah. Jesus's identity is the son of God. Like right. he came to be the savior of the world and his mission was to do exactly that. Right. And so if if his mission was to love unconditionally and to love to the fullest, then it didn't matter what would happen to him. Right. He said, I'm going to love anyway. And so I think that's the that's how we do that is like if you're if you're worried about what is my uh like, what are these people going to respond? How are these people going to respond to me if I love them too much? I think you're worried about the wrong thing. Right. And if you're standing, and this is like, he always does something in accordance with the Father, mm-hmm. right? And if you are always, imagine if you lived your life and you were always in line with God. How, I mean, I don't. That's the problem. I would love that. Um, right. But <laughs> it was like, it out, I, would, I wouldn't care about what other people thought, what the respect like i wouldn't need respect from them i wouldn't need love back from them because mm-hmm. i got it perfectly from god himself right and it would be unnecessary because it's like i've got the most full expression of this possible yeah right and like as christians that is essentially what we're striving towards at the end of the day it's like you don't have that now but we are working towards like greater and greater communion with the father right in the same way that jesus did that he didn't need other people to like him that mm-hmm. he didn't need other people to respect him he didn't need validation from other people yeah yeah and it's even bled over into the disciples uh especially paul who continues to be imprisoned. Um, and I would imagine that he was not imprisoned, uh, you know, on a nice feathery pillow bed or that he was gently coerced into the jail. I imagine there was some violence involved in that. But yeah, again, Roman prisons weren't the nicest of places. <laughs> I think that like, even though he had to endure that stuff as well, he know he knew 
that his purpose was to preach the gospel and that no matter what came, who cares? Like my purpose is to preach the gospel and that is absolutely it. I think he says it at the end or um, I think he says it in in Acts, like maybe. Say it we'll find out. Maybe it's Peter because I'm thinking it's Acts 4 and I don't think Paul's around there then. But he basically says that like what I do is is simply to preach the gospel and that's it. Like if if anything that I do does not lead to preaching the gospel, then I've basically wasted my life. And um, so I could be totally wrong and whatever, but I know it's in Acts somewhere. Promise. Go read the whole book of Acts and you'll find it. (laughs) But like I think that the, the, the takeaway here for Jesus and for Paul and for ourselves is that the focus is not, how are they going to treat me? The focus is not, how are they going to receive this? The focus is not, um, will they accept this love? The focus is, I'm going to love these people with the love of Christ, with the gospel at the center, and then whatever else happens, happens. Mm-hmm. But I'm going yeah. to serve these people no matter what. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, and it, it's it's helpful, like you guys said, when your identity and is rooted in Christ and you don't need the validation of other people and the, the perception of other people is less likely to cause you to lose respect for yourself. And you know why you're doing what you're doing. You know, you're, 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 you're loving your enemies because God expressed that you should. You're serving God in that work. And mm-hmm. so when you know why you're doing something, then you're less likely to respond as severely to the perceptions of other people. And you're right. less likely to, to lose your sense of value of yourself. I mean, it, it is the case that people might not value you or they might not respect you, but I mean, we should expect that as Christians. Yeah. And it doesn't mean we have to lose that for ourselves. The thing is, man, we, and this might ruffle some feathers, but who cares? Uh, we don't have value outside of Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. We don't. I am. I have zero value to my life outside of the work of Christ that is that has been done in me and through me. There is nothing else that matters. A worthless like, pile of crap. Yes, absolutely. That's Paul a rough translation in, in, in the Bible, for the record. I'm not yes. just calling Kendall a worthless pile. <laughs> yeah, of crap. I am a worth. Thanks, Caleb. I really appreciate that, man. But you know what? Jesus is doing a work, so not technically. I'm not that anymore. No. Um, so, like, but that's the thing, right? Is that if, if I really grab a hold of that truth that I I am nothing without Christ. I will accomplish nothing without Christ. No matter what kind of accolades I can come up with, no matter how much money I can make or how many people I can make follow me or whatever, that crap does not matter if it's not centered in Christ. And so therefore, I'm worth nothing mm-hmm. if not for Christ. So let's put this question in the context of relationships. Maybe we can even say intimate relationships. Um, do you think it's the case that if, as a man, you don't stand up for yourself, that you run the risk of losing the respect of the person that you're in relationship with? Like if, if, if the person looks at you and thinks, well, he can't even stand up for himself, how is he supposed to stand up for me? And so how would you approach that? Uh, you know, if you're, if you're in a relationship and you're in a situation that's adversarial or having an argument and you, you even have the right side of it, of the issue, uh, do you stand up for yourself in that situation or do you, uh, how, how would you go about loving the person that you're in conflict with? You know, because you, it is the case in, at least in those dynamics that you really don't want to lose the respect of the other person. I mean, whenever we're talking about, uh, unbelievers persecuting the church, it's like, well, we're going to lose their respect anyway. So, right. you know, it, it is what it is. But in those other more intimate relationships, 
we, and it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship. It can be coworkers. It can be friends. It can be people who are leading you or people you're leading. Uh, what about those situations? Do you think that it changes things whenever, uh, you know, people would be doing something that's an injustice against you? Do you stand up for yourself in that moment? So I think I actually think that we would have differing views on this because there are different contexts, different viewpoints um, for a couple of different reasons, just our personality types. Yeah, you can go first and I'll tell you why you're wrong. Yeah, no, you're right. (laughs) No, because I would would say that like, I don't know the answer uh, because I I can tend to um, demand respect by my tone of voice or by my level in an argument or by like, no, I'm the alpha in the room and I'm going to tell you what's going on. Like, but that just comes from the way I was brought up. Like in arguments in my house, it was uh, whoever's the loudest gets the last word. And which you, is different than my house. You might win. So because all four of us, also I have three brothers and we're all within like a five year span of each other. Um, so my younger brother is 25, my oldest brother is 30. Um, and we would get in debates and arguments and fights all the time. Not physical fights, rarely. Um, but, you know, four boys in a house. That happens. Um, but we would get in, like, logic and argumentative and, like, how can we outwit each other? Um, and so it was always based on, like, who can be perceived as the smartest in this conversation as opposed to who is the loudest necessarily. So, mm-hmm. I mean, in that sense, we are coming. But we do, like... The, I think the bigger question coming out of that is what are you standing up for? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Right. Because I, I will not stand up for everything, even if the world says I need to be standing up for something. Right. Because There are some things that I should be standing up for and some things I have no business standing up for because it's not my place. And I think that's how you earn the respect, right? Um, so that's what I was going to say. Like one of the things I'm trying to learn is when to back down yeah. and to not always just demand the ear of the person I'm talking to or like, or, you know, you put it in the context of an argument, not demanding that you hear my side, but then like taking a step back and saying, okay, can I see it from this other person's point of view? And I think the ebb and flow is what gives you the respect that you're not, that you're not losing. If you're always laying down, then yeah, you might lose respect. Yeah. But if you're like, if you're always challenging, you will also lose respect right. that way too. Yeah, yeah. So there has to be a balance there. And I think if you look at Jesus, I think you have the same thing, right? right. Like yeah, there right. is a balance to that. There is a gentle correction sometimes, you know. And like, there's some not gentle yeah, corrections that involve whips, right. monopoly, and flipping tables. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the, and like I'm a fence sitter on the whole. So we are like quite opposite in, yeah. in these things. And like one of the things that I'm learning to do more is, how to like i i have full confidence in my capabilities of standing up i just don't deem most things worthwhile enough to stand up for right but as a pastor it's like i'm learning more and more um that my congregation members want me to take stands on things Mm -hmm. right because like you just kind of have to as a pastor it seems like sometimes whether i want to or not it's like well jesus did take stands on things right and you Mm -hmm. can't just be wishy-washy about everything otherwise you're giving into like this this culture of relativism to say like, you know, if I don't take a stand on everything, I can never be, no one can ever be upset with me or anything mm-hmm. like that, but you lose respect, right? Yeah. I was, I'd, why would I respect someone who can't make up their mind on something? 
Right. Yeah. As a leader, if when you, when you make a stand, when you plant that flag in the ground, I think one of the things that you're doing is you're lighting up the path that you're walking so that other people can see where you're going. Correct. You know, because if you're just mashed potatoes all the time, they're not going to know, you know, like, okay, well, like what would he, what would he do in this situation? It's like, I don't know. He he would probably go with whatever's popular in the room. Well then, then it's like, then you have no leader because what's popular in the room becomes the leader and then people are just leading themselves. And so when you put with that flat, you, know, you you make that stand. I think it, you know, people will give you flack for it because they want to see whether you're authentic. You know, if right. you're standing up for something, the first thing they might do is be like, well, I'm going to prod him and poke him to see if he really is standing up for this because I don't want to go out on that limb with him unless I'm for sure that he's going to stay out there once I go out there. Well, and, and I, I literally just did this. So you can't see this, but Julie is on the other side of the camera. And I literally just did that with her where I was like, I was poking, she had an idea and I was like, okay, let's poke and prod this to make sure you know what you're talking about before, you know, you actually have to go do this for someone else and people go along with you. Cause it's like, you're spending people's money and resources and finances that aren't yours. And you need to be certain of what you're doing with that before you say, Hey, come follow me. Cause if it's a really weak branch and you're put multiple people on it, it's going to break. Mm-hmm. I sometimes wonder if the command for husbands to self-sacrificially love their wives, you know, to love their wives as Christ loved the church Mm -hmm. is responsible in part for the difference in command between men and women. And I'm interested to know what you guys think about this. So like (laughs) women are called to respect their husbands and men are called to love their wives as as Christ loved the church. So do you think that the command for women is, hey, look, he's going to be laying himself down for you and he's going to be sacrificing himself for you, you know, because that's how Christ loves. And your job is to not look at him in terms of worldly masculinity, let's say, right. uh, because if you do that, you might lose respect for him. Uh, you know, whereas w- w- you, you, so the, that might be why the, di- the diff- that might be the, the reason for the difference in command between men and women. Do you think that that's accurate to say? <laughs> my, so my oldest brother um, is a pastor as well. And he was telling me one time he was doing premarital counseling for a couple um, and he was working through that text and he was like, just so you know, and he's talking to the guy, just so you know, like guys get the short end of the stick in marriage. Cause you're going to have, you could have a loveless marriage on your coming from your wife mm-hmm. and it would still be biblically accurate. All she's called to do is respect you. She doesn't yeah. say anything <laughs> about loving you. Right. And, and, but the question becomes like, are we, are men on the whole? And certainly this is a generalization wired. And I, this is a case for me. I couldn't care less if people don't love me. Uh, you know, it grinds my gears if I don't feel like I'm being respected, though, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's there's a difference mm-hmm. um, for me. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. who cares if you don't like me? Whatever. I can get over that. But, like, if you're not respecting me, that's a very different game. Yeah. Yeah, no, I would say that that is part of what, what the thing that you just said. I think that's accurate because, you know, when we look at, uh, well, in Genesis and after the fall, like, part of... Um, part of what sin brought in the world is this, uh, this, well, it's harder. I would guess I'm trying to figure out the right way to say it where I don't say it in a, in an offensive way. Um, if you look at it, stand, yeah, if you look at it in Genesis, right. Um, basically one of the things that women and men are cursed with is that Eve will try to like take charge Mm. instead of Adam being able to take charge. And that has played itself out across all of history. So I think, yes, I think that um, women are in that sense, in the context of marriage told um, to respect their husband in a sense that, Hey, if he does lay down and say, you know, I'm going to lay down my 
desires and what I want to do so that I can love you properly, that it's not a, oh, yes, I can now take control. It's I respect that and I appreciate that and I'm going to continue to to respect you in that. And so, like, I think if you take it in the context of the entire Bible, especially at the beginning of Genesis, I think that's super accurate to say that. That's that's really good. So... um, When do you think that violence becomes righteous for a Christian? Or does violence ever become righteous for a Christian? Uh, where, What are the implications of calling violence righteous in terms of war? Well, not with your wife that doesn't respect you. Definitely not. Don't, Definitely. don't go to no. violence. Yeah, that, 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 that probably the, did need a better segue. That's <laughs> what I was thinking is like, <laughs> big nope. Well, that segue was pretty yeah. abrupt, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. (laughs) Can you ask the question again? Because that's the only thing I was thinking about the whole time. Yeah, going from the dynamics of marriage to righteous violence is not a smart move if you're a podcaster. So learn from that. Yeah, we've learned our lesson on that. Uh, (laughs) The question is, does violence ever become righteous for a Christian? If so, when? And what are the implications of calling violence righteous when it comes to things like war? Mm. Yeah. And I actually think that there are moments where violence is righteous. So, okay, so imagine the turn the other cheek command, right? As Mm -hmm. far as I can tell, turn the other cheek is if someone is expressing animosity against you, is being violent maybe with you. Mm -hmm. But what about defending the cause of widows and orphans? You know, like, does it mean recently uh, in the news there was a... uh, a situation where a woman was beat up and some security guards just stood by and watched her get beat up. In my estimation, what happened there was not godly to just let her get beat up. Right. Um, you know, and th- there was probably other factors like they didn't want to lose their job. Maybe they thought that right. it wasn't their jurisdiction to do something like that. But as a Christian, I don't think it's righteous for us to stand by and allow something like that to happen, even though stopping it might mean becoming violent with the perpetrator. And there's a sense of, I think we'll go with, comparative violence as a term, right? Um, And I'm not a parent, but I think I can, I get the gist of this without being one. Um, Your kid runs to the street and you grab them violently and throw them back to the ground. It's like, that was a violent act, right? But comparatively to getting run over by a car is very different. Or um, one of the big things that culturally speaking is being more and more looked down upon, spanking your kids, right? Um, is the, the violence of spanking your child worse than the violence of them being in a world without any manners and getting chewed up by the world? Which one's mm-hmm. more violent for the person? Having no idea how discipline works in the world yeah. and therefore being chewed up by it, which is going to be far more severe than right. you getting spanked as a kid, right? Yeah. Like, what's worse violence in that case, right? And so there's this, and, and Augustine was kind of, uh, who's this old dead theologian from 1600 years ago, Um was the first one to kind of in, within Christian circles to come up with this idea of like a third party defender, right? Which actually from a Christian's perspective is where like we have justification for like a police <clears throat> system, right? Because we need people to be able to stand up on behalf of people who have no power, right? And to stop violence in accordance, right? And he, he was kind of the, the first theologian to really come up with anything of this third party. It's like, I'm not going to hit someone and this is me as a pacifist too. So it's like, if someone attacked me, granted, I don't know what I would do because I've never thoroughly been assaulted before with mm-hmm. threat of my life. Um, but like to say like, you know what? I'd be okay with that because, well, Jesus did that. 
Um, and on the other hand to say like, but I'm not going to let that go to an innocent person. Like I have yeah. control over myself and I can choose whatever I want to do with my own body. But for someone else, it's like, that's why we need this third party defender yeah. kind of like justification. That's what I was about to say is that I think that the only time that it's justified is uh, in protection of innocence. So like if you are protecting someone who is innocent in this context right. or uh, protecting their actual innocence of the, of themselves like i think that's when okay violence is probably uh okay now if it is um it is if it is revenge i do not think no. that that's okay right. i think that's one of those things it's like it's in the moment and i'm protecting that in the moment but if something was to happen terribly um and steal the innocence of a child or something like that and then you find out about it a year later and then you go kill that person yeah, probably not. Right. Like that's probably not justified. Um, but if it was happening in the moment, like and you stumbled upon, well, this lady in the park, right? If you stumbled upon her being assaulted and didn't do anything about it, that would be, like you said, ungodly. But if you did something about it in that moment, I think that would be justified. Mm. If you heard about it on the news and like, I'm going to go track down those guys and put on my Batman suit and go <laughs> freaking beat those fools up. Like <laughs> that would not be okay. I don't no. think that would be justified. And, and, you, and you also run into like questions of excessiveness, <clears throat> right? So if, mm -hmm. you know, your kid, you're at a park and some person comes up to your kid and some, does something awful. Yeah. Like, do you, there's a difference between you stepping in and getting them off your child and you shooting them. Yes. Right. Like there's sure. an excessiveness yeah. level too that we need to, and these yeah. are all gray lines. Like because we don't have hard and fast rules, it's like you have to be wise and jurisprudent mm -hmm. with your actions. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's funny that you bring that up because, uh, so I have three kids and two of them are in school and my daughter is a first grader and, or no, a kindergartner. And, uh, my son is in, um, is in pre-K and, uh, there's one particular kid, like I just overheard this the other day and there's one particular kid that picks on my daughter. I think it's cause he likes her, but it's kindergarten. So it's whatever. Um, but he picks on my daughter and apparently he like pushed her like a couple days in a row, like in the line. And my fatherly instinct was like, I'm going to kill, kill the kid. This kid. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that would be excessive. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though I'd be protecting my daughter a little bit, mm -hmm. that'd be excessive. So what do I do? As I tell my son, son, if you ever see anybody touch your sister in a mean way, you handle it. Yeah. Like, and now he's four. So I explained to him, like, you go tell the teacher, yeah, yeah, yeah. you you know, don't go right. There's only him so the much face. handling like, a four year old. Can yes, do. exactly. Whereas but, you could rip a child apart <laughs> limb for limb if you wanted but to. But I'm not going to do that. So, um, but what I would do is like, I'm going to continue that narrative throughout, throughout school, right? Like yeah. she's going to have two younger brothers who the way that they're growing, she's very small and petite, and these two boys are going to be huge. And yeah, so, tanks. like, <laughs> I want them to protect their sister. And if they come home one day, if I get a call from an, a principal one day that says, hey, your two boys uh, beat up this kid, but it was because this kid was also, like, hurting your daughter, then I'd be like, okay, cool. Awesome. <laughs> like, I told them to do that. <laughs> but, you know, if they just beat if they just jumped some kids, they didn't like them. Right. That's a different that's story. That's not okay. Like, yeah. that is terrible and shouldn't happen. So I think that's kind of like, in my mind, that's a story that is a little bit more innocent that kind of uh, brings home the point. Well, and, and frankly speaking, this actually, I think the way that you just explained it is a good way. Because a lot of people will turn. So the the one story that we have of Jesus being kind of 
violent in nature is that story where he goes into the temple and mm-hmm. he flips some tables and he makes a whip and starts driving people out, right? Yeah. But if you think about it in the context of like uh, poor, orphaned, widowed people were being taken advantage of because of mm-hmm. the church, which is the, or the temple, which is the one place that they shouldn't be. <clears throat> like in that sense, Jesus wasn't just taking revenge to take revenge. He was doing so because it protects the innocence of people who couldn't take care of themselves. Yeah. Right? Cause poor orphan widow people, which are the like three people that the Bible groups of people that the Bible says you have to be taken care of. The temple is the one place that's supposed to do it. If that's not doing its job, like those people have nothing, right? Their innocence has not been protected and has been yeah. robbed of them. Right. And that's right. I think this sort of thing is always playing out on like a social scale. And yeah. I'm, a little bit nervous about the idea of shepherds of pastors becoming kind of like toothless or uh you know pushovers you gotta or, defend off wolves right because yeah. if 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 there's nothing in the room to stop the worst guy in the room then the worst guy in the room is going to be able to do whatever he wants yeah. and i mean i understand that we have law enforcement and that we have uh institutions in place to take care of this kind of thing but those institutions are not uh, immune to corruption. I mean, there well, may and come what a time. if it's like it's not a legal thing? It's just this person <clears throat> is a bully in your church, and uh, whatever he or she says gets done because they just like bullhorn everyone else into mm-hmm. it, right? Like you need to be able to stand up against that as a pastor to say you are abusing power right now, and this isn't a legal problem, so the police aren't going to do everything. But this is a theological, spiritual, scriptural level. And like we as pastors have to be able to have a stand on those types of things. We can't be toothless, right? Because it's our responsibility sometimes to yank sheep with a, like that's why there's a hook on the end of a shepherd's staff. It's like yanking sheep and fending off wolves, right? And those wolves, nine times out of 10 are in your own church. Right. Yeah, like, I think though even disguised as sheep in sheep's clothing, as Paul would say. That's not Paul. Yeah, I think, said that. I think that either way though, you can't, it's not just pastors, it's Christians. Like yeah. there are, a, there are a number of Christians that do not have a backbone mm-hmm. and that will bow to culture, yeah. uh, cultural standards, and that will bow to whatever is going on. And I don't want to, I don't want to create, you know, ripples and ruffle any feathers. And I want to make sure like, man, if, if we start to bow, uh, at perceived truth or relative truth mm-hmm. and, uh, forsake what is absolute truth in the word of God then that is wrong. And that's on either way. If we're being right. bullies as Christians right. to say, uh, well, the word of God says it and I believe it and that settles it. So screw you. Like right, that's right. It's like, well, not no, that's okay. just your interpretation. Of <laughs> yeah. <it. laughs> but if we're using the word of God in, in a right context, in the proper context to illuminate truth in our lives and in other people's lives, we have to, as Christians be able to stand up for what is right. right. And that does not necessarily mean that we are violent in a physical manner. Yep. Um, but that also means that we can, we can be violent, um, in a, uh, in, in a, um, in a spoken manner, like violent against the culture. Like, I don't know about you, but when you read the Bible, there's a lot of warfare in there, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of spiritual warfare. We are told to Brit to put on the armor 
of God. You don't yeah. put on armor um, to sit on the couch, right? Like no. you put on armor uh, to to fight. And by the way, uh, the armor of God does not just require a shield for protecting yourself. It also has a sword, which is the word of God. And so I think in a violence context, how should, you know, how should we uh, put violence in this context of Christianity? Man, I think it's being violent against the kingdom of darkness, being violent against hell. And that right. ultimately is protection of innocence yeah. of a soul, right? And and keeping in mind that that's never, like, and Paul's pretty clear about this. He says, this is not a battle. You are not waging war. You are not fighting against flesh and blood. Yes. Mm, you're, you're not fighting, taking yeah, the word of God against a person's physical Check being. out Ephesians 6. Yeah, this is a this is against the powers and principalities of this dark world, like you said. And mm-hmm. it's like we ha- and part of the problem is in, in danger <clears throat> is I think a lot of times we as Christians have have gone to war against the flesh and blood. Yeah. Right? And that's how yeah. people get hurt. Yeah. You know what? Actually this this is can, this is uh, culturally uh, relevant here. Go okay, for it. so Lil Nas X. I mean, y'all saw he mm-hmm. came out with the devil shoe, right? Yeah. yeah. By Did the you way, watch the music video though for that though? I didn't want to. No, uh, I I've watched seen the, it. it. I've was... seen the pictures and I've I've read descriptions of such. It was so it was it was interesting. I'll say that, but like the whole thing was biblical illusions. Like there was not yeah. a part of it that wasn't well, other than I, mm. I guess you could say it's still a biblical illusion. But he's there's one point where he's standing in front of like in what looks like a Roman, yeah, um, and people are judging him and saying yay or nay for whether or not. But other than that, everything's a biblical illusion. They got the Garden of Eden. Yeah. They've got heaven, hell, and it's it's so fascinating. At the, least, so the the crazy thing about it is one. By the way, uh, Nike did not make the six 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 shoes, so do not ban Nike for that. Like ban them for using little child workers. I would say for a lot of other <laughs> reasons, but not that. But I love Nike. So, um, <laughs> anyways, Nike didn't make that. Lil Nas X and one of his uh, whatever friends, basically, that that redoes shoes, made that particular shoe. And the shoe is, you know, it's satanic in nature. Like, he even says, like, this is a satanic shoe. Like, they made 666 of them. There's human blood in it. Like, it's the weirdest freaking thing, right? Mm -hmm. But where I'm going with this is that you saw, uh, let me say, uh, middle American Christians. Mm -hmm. Like, let me just say that. Like, you know... Whatever you, whatever comes into your mind as middle middle American Christians, these are the people um, that stood up against this, but in a very vigilant way of like, how dare he do that? It's almost right. Easter. Like, I mean, they were smashing this Vivid. guy yeah. verbally, and um, you know, I saw the other side of it as well. Um, which middle America Christians would call these progressives, and I would not call them progressives, but they were like, hey. Like little Nas X still has a soul. Like also, Jesus still died for him. Like let's he's not, not a Christian. Either. He's not a Christian. So, so don't be so angry. Like you can be angry at the fact that there is a satanic shoe or that like that there is biblical illusion and he's twisting that possibly yeah, for right. a generation or for a culture. And you can be upset about that, but the way that you go about handling that, um, is is very important because what right. happened is there was this outrage yeah. of middle middle America Christianity and guess what Lil Nas X said he basically said on a tweet like you think I've like you think I didn't plan this out like you think that I didn't plan to release this on the Easter week y'all are helping me promote my product thank you right like yeah. Yeah. and he's basically just trolling everybody and then yeah. he comes out with some Chick Fil A shoes like a fake Chick Fil A shoe and he's like. 
Yeah, no, I saw that made me laugh. <laughs> but I mean, but the thing is, is like, should he make that shoe? No, I don't think that he should make that shoe. But he's also not a Christian, so I have no, um, so I have I, no expectations of him. Yeah, so I don't have any expectation over yeah. that. But if my kids were to see that shoe, I can be vigilant in saying this is why this is a problem, son or daughter. Yeah. Like if my kids were old enough to be able to talk about that, like this is why this is a problem. So I think like it's within the way we fight culture is not on this. Uh, the way we fight principalities is not on this global scale of I'm outraged. Let me go to Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, yeah. The way we fight, the way we are vigilant and against principalities and darkness is through prayer and through, um, through our circles that we actually have uh, influence in. Correct. And it's not to be outraged on social media. Right. That just draws the wrong kind of attention to Christianity and says, yep, I knew it. I knew it. And what's fascinating to me is like, we do this all the time as Christians, but like Jesus almost never, like Jesus didn't storm into the temple and start cussing out prostitutes, right? Even, mm -hmm. you know, temple prostitutes from yeah. the Roman. It was just like, there was a lack of expectation to live up to a standard. It's like, if you're not a Christian, I don't expect you to live up to a standard. Mm -hmm. It's like Jesus didn't walk around enraged all the time at everything, right? In fact, it usually was quite the opposite. Um, other than in that one temple instance, but, you know, I think there's pretty good reason for that. But he's like all of the things that offend us, like Jesus was not going around blasting on well, he didn't have social media, but even if he did, I don't think he would have been going around blasting. Jesus isn't using the Twitter fingers to yeah, yeah, yeah. Like tell somebody what's up. But we take it upon ourselves all the time to, and this is sad. Like, I'm going to say it because, you know, it makes sense in the context of Easter. We crucify people, right? Yeah. We, we Christians have crucified people because of the outrage that they have with cre people who are not Christians. It's like, yeah. this is literally the exact opposite of what we're called to be as Christians. We are called to be crucified. We are called to endure persecution and suffering, not the persecutors and givers of suffering. Yeah, right? I actually We've literally saw, done the opposite. I saw this crazy thing. Um, so this one pastor that I follow on Instagram, his name is uh, JP. Um, so uh, JP Pokluda. Um, he's a pastor in, uh, Waco, Texas, and he used to pastor this young adults thing called the porch. And, um, someone asked him, he does a Q and a on Fridays and someone asked him like, how do you deal with cancel culture in the church? And he said, well, see the problem with cancel culture is the church started it. And he yeah, was no, like, think really. about it like Disney and like, just, he listed all these different things about, and then he said, and now little Nas X like so right. we are the we are the, the progenitors of <laughs> yeah cancel of cancel culture. culture of like oh, I can't believe you did that you know what we're boycotting you and it's like and that's what he said he said we didn't call it cancel culture we just said we're gonna boycott that yeah and like I had this like brain explosion <laughs> moment of oh, yeah we did <laughs> like you were so Darn right <laughs> yeah. yeah and there's a difference between and I think you made this pretty clear it's like there's a difference between um being watchful like christ calls us to like the parable of the the virgins with the oil who are going before the wedding and the mm -hmm. ones who ran out of oil for their lanterns it's like they weren't watchful right and and as christians we're called to be watchful ever present of what's going around us and for your kids in particular right it's like you're not gonna go storm little nas and fight them Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you are going to say to your kids, like, hey, this is, these are the reasons why. And there's a very different, uh, like, that's not violent. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's the difference. Yeah. 
Yeah. And many will say, Lord, Lord, I followed you on Twitter. And he will say, <laughs> get away from me. I, I have no Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's good stuff, guys. I think we'll wrap on that. Wait, uh, wait we didn't talk about war. Oh, yeah. Okay. What about war, yeah. dude? All right. Let's get into it. So, uh, all right. What so, about it? <laughs> so, okay. So, we, we can hit this quick. Um, can we? I think. Okay. Yeah, you, you have a fast mind, Caleb. You could do it. <laughs> yeah, my mind might be fast, but my so, mouth is not always. We, we do see examples in the Old Testament. You know, you can think of someone like Joshua just conquering everybody. And um, I think that in history, we have examples of what we might call righteous wars. For instance, uh, U.S. forces liberating Nazi concentration camps. Yeah. Um, and I think that even today, I don't think that we would be unjustified in, in uh, attempting to liberate the Uyghur Muslims who are being uh, imprisoned unjustly in China. And so... Yeah. What do we do in situations like that if if we determine that it is the case that in interpersonal conflict, sometimes violence is, is uh, righteous? How does that scale to a governmental level? Right. Well, and that goes back to that third-party defender. Like, that uses literally the same logic. Mm-hmm. We have the power to stop someone else from harming someone else, right? In the case with liberating um, <clears throat> in Nazi Germany, it's like they couldn't help themselves, so we stepped in, right? And it's like... The problem with that is, especially nowadays, we're at such an advanced level. Um, and I was reading an article about this. It's like the only reason the world has not been wiped out is because we have nuclear deterrence, right? And it used to be the case where, generally speaking, because war was not... Like, if you're only using swords, you it's pretty easy to not take innocent lives. As long as you don't, you know, stab the wrong person, you're not going to kill an innocent person because you're only going to fight the people that are around you, Right. You drop a nuclear bomb on a city, how many innocent you've now maybe stopped what you needed to stop, but at the cost of millions of people, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what happened in World War II. It's like, might have been the start to the end of the war, but how many millions of people lost their lives? I don't think that was a great decision. Yeah. And then are affected generations and generations later because of. Right. So it's like the point at which we are in war with the, the, ability to cause death on mass levels um irregardless of innocence and often irregardless well irregardless not a word regardless of innocence <laughs> i wasn't gonna call you on that man you're the wordsmith over here <laughs> yeah, yeah regardless of innocence it's like we lots of people because of how advanced we are with war are caught in the crossfires now where that was not the case yeah. you know 500 years ago yeah, yeah peace through strength i think is a unfortunate policy that is a reflection of the flawed moral nature of human beings and that cowardice often preserves or inspiring fear in people often inspires peace more than a desire for peace, a desire to be moral. But but the question is, even if it's just justifiable, like that is not how the kingdom of God operates, right? Like it's peace is never found through power. In fact, peace was found through uh, giving up one's life and it was found through being willing to die it's like, so on the one hand, it's like, well, yeah, I guess we have this justifiable through logic at least. But if this isn't how the kingdom of God operates, do we go with that even? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's a matter of being a defender or a conqueror. Like that, those are the two things that come to my mind is like, you know, you can be both of those things, but you can conquer an evil while defending someone else. Like that's what I think Jesus did, right? He conquered death, sin, and the grave. Like he conquered all that stuff. Um, But he also was defending people from, uh, you know, from the, uh, 
the wrath of of sin, not the wrath of God, but like the consequences of sin is what I'm what I'm going for. Right, right. Um, the the wages of sin, which would be death. Like he defended from that, but he also conquered an evil um, that is in our world. And I think of the same way, like within uh, within all of history, right? Like, am I being a conqueror just to have conquests and just say, I have all this land and look how awesome I am. And I'm so powerful now. Right. I'm an emperor and of my empire, whatever. And I'm going to just keep going as long as I can until someone kills me. That is probably an issue. Like mm-hmm. that would be an issue, yeah. right? But defend defense, defending someone or defending your own land or defending a people group um, and therefore conquering an evil, I think is, is okay. Um, and I think biblically it's okay because if you look at, so you brought up Joshua and a lot of people, um, will even say like, well, I just can't believe in a God who would tell his people to go slaughter all of those people. Right. Like, and, uh, tell his people to conquer this land and why didn't he just give it to them and do it peacefully? Right. Well, the problem is that, uh, if you look throughout biblical history, um, there's this thing, there's this, uh, I don't know if you would call them a race. They're probably a race of people called uh, the Nephilim. And what they are um, is they essentially are, that's where the giants originated from, um, but they essentially are, this is wild stuff. If you want a good good time (laughs) on a Friday night, open Genesis chapter six. Yeah, so the Nephilim are basically uh, characterized as the sons of God sleeping with the daughters of man and creating these things called the Nephilim, which yeah. were essentially an abomination to God. Um, and Think so, like any Greek mythology ever. Like yeah. you slept with anyone and everyone. Yeah, that's basically where that comes from, right? Like that yeah. kind of ide- ideology comes from that. And so the Nephilim, um, the people of, of, the, of, of Cana, right? Um, the people of Cana, they were descendants of the Nephilim. So this is a bloodline that actually was never supposed to be in place. And... God was not saying, go kill all these innocent people. This was a bloodline that was not like, that was not necessarily fully human. Like it was, it's hard to put your mind around. I don't think but, I've ever heard uh, that before. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I, it's really odd, it, but it's really odd. And I didn't really know about it till about two years ago. And I was looking into like, why yeah. was violence okay back then? And why was conquering? Okay. And why would God tell people to kill all these people and not leave any one of them and, you know, get mad at them and, 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 uh, you know, punish them for not killing right. all the people. Um, and it, that's, that's the reason why, like it's, it's partially because of that, at least from what I've found. And if you think I'm completely wrong, then please tell me, but, um, I have no idea. That's I part of it. You're completely wrong. <laughs> I'm going to have to go look into that more. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, certainly situations on an individual level where, uh, doing violence and um, and maybe uh, attacking someone or defending someone else through violence seems appropriate. I think we've established that, and then I think that's just it. Just scales, like it's just scaling. I mean, you, it is. It's hard for us to imagine. In the well, I'm not world. convinced we actually did establish that it's appropriate. We said it's a it's logical. Whether that's what we do in the kingdom of heaven or not, I don't know. Yeah. That's a, we're going to have to unpack that on a different podcast because yeah, yeah. we really, we really like, need to unpack it, it, that. It makes sense, but that doesn't make me. That doesn't mean right. that it, yeah, that doesn't mean that it is right. I'm, I would say that looking at it from the context of Jesus himself, I would say that it is only justifiable in 
the defense of innocence. Yeah. And that's I, the only yeah. way that I would say. I don't know. Those are, well, here's the other thing. It's like, um, are you willing to take on the consequence of resorting to violence? Because those who live by the sword will die by mm-hmm. it. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Not everyone thinks through that. It's like, yeah, I'm willing to defend, but it's like, okay, but what's the cost? Right. Well, yeah, and we can learn that through Christ's work also, is that he put himself right. on the line. He wasn't mm-hmm. hiding in a mob. You know? Yeah, right. And so, anyway, but that that is right. I, I opened up a can of worms that is. I mean, much that's larger. still so. So to me, it, this should be quick, but to me, like that is the consequence of sin, right? Like that is Correct. if there if we did not live in a fallen world, one we wouldn't have to have violence. Um, but, but but part of the part of the fallout from even if you are justifiably righteously defending someone, yeah. there is still a consequence that could be PTSD. It could be uh, that yeah, you slew that, things. yeah that you have to deal with hurting someone else, even though you were defending yeah. someone. Like even Jesus's death on the cross had had consequences to the people that loved him the most that they believed kind of that he would raise again but not really like they were I don't like, really I think don't know, I, I don't know if that's the truth <laughs> like that's what you said it will follow you but as soon as he actually died they probably were like oh no yeah we were wrong. oh yeah they all went back to yeah. like they all went back to their fishing or yeah, whatever they're exactly. like all right well so there was that consequences of that like done. the pain that they yeah. had to deal with in that moment there was still consequences think about mary like there was still a consequence uh of pain that comes from sin um that they had they would have had to deal with so i think like yeah you have to be able to to understand that even when i'm defending someone there is still a consequence because ultimately this act is only uh is only available to me i guess because of a sinful nature well and the the so the next question i have and i don't think this is answerable is like Certainly that is all a result of the fallen world, right? And I can expect to have to live to some degree within the confines of being in a fallen world. But the one task of the church is to reconcile all things. Like we're part of the, when God says he's going to reconcile all things to himself, like the church is a part of that ministry, right? So um, I think part of that is to be able to say we have to, the church has to find a way to be able to talk about stopping and defending without using violence because I don't think in heaven that is going to be the case, right? And so it's our task yeah. to some degree to figure out how to do that in yeah. earth, even though it's we're in a sinful world because yeah. our job is to make it less sinful to some degree. Yeah, I would be interested to know. And, and I don't have an answer for that, but yeah. that's our task. I mean, it, there may not be a perfect way to answer that because we live in a fallen nature, but it might have something to do with preventing the event before it starts. Prevent, yeah. Preventing, getting to someone spiritually before they decide to become a villain who needs to be stopped with violence, Could something be. like that. I yeah. mean, Jesus didn't say, blessed are the defenders of the innocent. He did say, blessed are the peacemakers. <laughs> so, <laughs> and like, the meek. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah like, I that's mean, what I'm saying. Like, it's justifiable, and you could even say, well, yeah, it's possible because Jesus did this and that, but really but, I think the goal would be... Yeah, just because it's permissible doesn't yeah, mean it's beneficial. I think the goal would be how do we create peace without violence? that violence. Yep, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great place to end. Hey, um, thank you for joining us for the Uloft podcast. I would encourage you to show up for United. It is the first Tuesday of every month. I encourage you to check us out at unitediup.com. Get in contact with us. Uh, we'd love to meet you. I think you'll have a good time. I think you'll enjoy it. It's a great ministry. Thank you for joining us for the Uloft podcast, and we will see you in the next episode. Peace. Deuces.